Good morning. I am Pastor Lori, and I am excited that you are joining us as we are in a series that we have titled God Part One. Um, just we, we've uh, been talking, we've been taking a look at discovering who God is by looking at the things that he does. So, um, and if you need to catch up, I, I'm going to pause for just a moment and say, if you need to catch up at all on any of the previous messages, you can go to our website and you can, you can find where we have a podcast and also past videos of the messages. So, um, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about what, where we are in the series. In previous weeks, we have learned that God is a God who calls, right? We first heard about Moses and that God called Moses to do a very important work. We've learned that God is a God who gives us his name, his very breath. Pastor Mike taught on that a few weeks ago. We've learned that God is a God who liberates. He hears the cries of his people, the oppressed, and he liberates them. And last week, Pastor Mike taught a great message on the God who leads. So today, we're going to actually take a look at the text that Karen read is absolutely one of my favorite pieces of scripture in all of the Bible. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. God is a God who fights for us. Today we're also, you might have noticed, we're going to also go to the communion table together. But before we do any of that, I want to ask you guys to do something for me, okay? I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to describe a person and I want to see if you can guess who they are. Okay, is that a deal? Are you with me? Two of you are with me. Awesome. This is going to be so much fun. Um, <laughs> I think the rest of you will join in at some point. So the first thing that you should know is this person actually goes to this church. So I know, be nervous right now. This person goes to this church. They seem fairly well put together. They seem to be doing the right things, living a decent and honorable life. This person typically has one of these guys tied to them at all, at all times, at all times. This person has to have this device of relative intelligence on them because they need to check it every couple of minutes to see if a new text message or email has come in, to see if they've gotten any new likes on Facebook or followers on Instagram. It's very important to know those things the moment, the very moment that they happen. They need, to make sure they, care, they need to make sure they haven't missed any calls, and they're constantly checking, did I miss any phone calls? Um, even though the reality is this device of relative intelligence has not actually left their person since the moment they woke up that morning. But just in case, they need to have it so they can look at it, so they can double check. Just in case this device were to fail or lose connection in some way, they have a backup plan. Or two. They might have more than one. This person spends a lot of time focusing on things they can't actually control, which ironically makes them feel like they're in total control over what happens in their life. This person believes that they are 100% responsible for their success or failure, and actually they believe that about others as well, that they're responsible. This person spends a ton of energy just trying to prevent bad things from happening. Does this person sound like anyone that you know? 
That's exactly what somebody said in the first gathering. I'm not trying to attack anyone. However, however, does this person sound like you? According to today's leading psychologist, what I have described to you are common behaviors of control addicts or how I like to lovingly refer to myself, a control freak. So I thought I liked that better. So let me give you a couple confessions of a control freak, a self-proclaimed control freak. I am she. That person I described could definitely be me. I like to feel, I should say, I want to feel like I am in total control, even when I know in my head that I'm not even a little bit in control. Now, I've shared this before uh, that this particular brokenness of mine reared its really ugly head at some point last year. If you've been around for a while, you know that I suffered a bad fall, had multiple broken bones that left me completely dependent on others, completely dependent on others for my family and my friends for what seemed like an eternity. Now, this created utter chaos in me. It left me feeling very angry and very resentful and a little depressed and very, very afraid. God bless you. Since I believed that I was 100% responsible for everyone's, including my success or failure, and I was unable to do anything for myself, I was left to think and wonder if the world would literally fall apart because I was down and out. Now, I happen to know that I am not the only one who suffers from disaffliction. Not only was Lindsay feeling attacked there, but I have met in my job here as a pastor, I've met with several of you and you have confessed these very things to me. So I know that I'm not alone in this struggle. We also hear about these examples of, of control issues in our culture, right? How many of you have heard the term helicopter parents? How many of you are helicopter parents? Keep your hands up, come on, don't lie. Don't lie to me. I have a couple examples of helicopter parents. Maybe you'll find yourself in these stories. I hope not. I read a story this week that one helicopter parent actually went on their grown kids' job interview to talk up their child to the potential employer and to make sure the kid didn't say anything stupid. That's a helicopter parent. This one really takes the cake for me. And I used to work for the school district years ago, and I could just imagine these phone, this phone call happening. This one parent actually asked their child's school to put video cameras in the classroom so that the parent could dial in and, and watch their child all day long while they were at school. Please don't confess to doing that. I don't. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, I want the record to reflect I have done neither of those things. I haven't, but I definitely have checked my phone nonstop for that reassuring ping that my loved one, particularly my children, have gotten to where they are supposed to be going when they learn to drive. I have 
asked them to text me. I still do. I'm confessing. I still do this. Text me before you leave because I know where you're headed next and I can calculate in my head how many minutes it should take. And if I don't hear from you in the appropriate amount of time, I need to call you and find out if you're okay. I know. It's, it's a sickness. I know. The truth is that probably the whole human race struggles with control to some degree, maybe not to my extremes or to the extremes of the, of the parent of, the, of the, those two kids that I was telling you about. The truth is we want predictability. We want certainty. We want to be sure. We want to we get, I, I love this phrase, we want to get what we want and we don't want to lose what we already have. Mm-hmm. But reality cannot be controlled because that would make us God. And we are not God. We are limited and we are fragile. Now, all of that is the bad news. You've come here to hear some good news too, I hope. The good news is that there's this thing called trust. And if you get trust right, you can actually open yourself up to some pretty amazing adventures and some opportunities for some very deep spiritual growth that, yes, often look like challenges and hardships. But the thing I want you to hear is that trust is actually the opposite of control. During my rehab from my injury, I had to keep giving into and keep accepting over and over again the very slow process of healing. I had to wait and wait, and then wait some more. And then I had to start the work of my rehabilitation. But the more I tried to control my situation, to take charge of my own healing, to take, not charge of it, let's say to take control of it, the more anxiety and resentment I actually experienced. But trust, produces peace. Trust produces serenity. So as I began to learn to trust all over again that God was doing a great work, not just in my physical healing, not just in my physical healing, only then was my peace restored. Now, this matters because we're going to take a look at a situation in the Exodus story that would surely trigger anyone's control issues. You see, many of us today can do okay with our control. We can have control of our control, if you will, until something, that, something happens that completely defi- derails us, defi- defies all of our attempts to control it, like the situation with my unexpected fall. Clearly, I didn't plan that. Clearly, I didn't plan that. We've all, though, received those middle-of-the-night phone calls from a family member or gotten an unexpected invitation to the boss's office or received an alert in some way, maybe from your device of relative intelligence, that said, this is threatening. Everything is about to change, and you need help, and you need it right now. So let's go back to our text 
to remind you where we are, where we've been already on this Exodus, in our Exodus story, God has called Moses. Moses is an unlikely shepherd at best with no obvious leadership skills, right? We don't see anywhere as we're introduced to Moses in this story. We don't see obvious leadership skills in him. But he is, God has called Moses to lead God's people, the Israelites, out of their oppression by the Egypts. Excuse me, by the Egyptians. Now, Pastor Mike said in his message last week that their escape from slavery, their liberation, is just the starting point, not the finish line. He said that our spiritual growth takes place in our willingness to be led through small steps and moments, not just big events. Our willingness to be led our trust in following. So what happens next in our story? God has sent the plagues, right? Pharaoh finally has had enough and and says, he tells Moses, take the Israelites and get out of town. Seriously, I can't handle no more of this. You need to go. Take your people and go. That brings us to Exodus, uh, verses five five through nine in in Exodus 14. And we we see that Pharaoh all of a sudden changes his mind. Well, what's happened? He's woke up in the morning and said, wait a minute, no slave labor. How are we going to build all these pyramids? I'm not going to lug bricks all day long. Who's going to do all this hard work? No way, no how. Go get them and bring them back. So to do that, Pharaoh sends his powerful and huge army after them. Now, I'm picking up in, in verses 10 through 12 we see that the Israelites have realized that the Egyptian army is pursuing them and they are terrified. Wouldn't you be? It's understandable that they would be terrified. They've been walking in the desert, walking away from everything they have ever known, and they're not completely sure what they're walking to. They have... This is a major military power versus escaped slaves. Who is favored to win? Now, I could make at this moment a comparison here to FSU versus almost every opponent they have played this season, but my goodness, it's just too painful. I just need a moment. I will try to continue. The Israelites are pinned between a sea. Now, notice that it is not called the Red Creek. It's called the Red Sea. That should imply to us that it is a big body of water. It's called the Red Sea, and they're caught between that and a mountain that is behind them that reveals Egypt's massive army. It's dark, and there is no escape. This could be considered a major control situation for the Israelites, don't you think? So how do we wish God would respond here? Maybe that he would send an army of angels to swoop in and fight Pharaoh's army on the Israelites' behalf before before the army even gets to the Israelites. That would be great. Maybe God would just make them invisible. That'd be fantastic. Maybe God could just Star Trek beam them out of there, transport them to someplace else. But instead... We read in verses 13 through 14 that Moses stops and he tells them this. You keep still. 
what? This is the ultimate challenge for anyone who has control issues. If you tell me to be still, I, well, let's not say what I would do. I'm done with my confessions for today. Control is natural. What would the Israelites naturally do in this situation? Maybe they would pick up a sword to fight. Maybe they would run away. These are desert people. They are not a trained army prepared to take on a major superpower military. They're also, as desert people, not equipped or prepared to navigate moving that many people across a sea. Some scholars have estimated that distance is 12 miles. This is, this is significant. Again, this is not a small creek. But this is what they are ultimately called to do. When faced with the choice between control and trust, we need to learn how to trust. Moses says to the Israelites, your job is to be still. God will fight for you. By the way, let's pause for a moment and notice that this is not the same Moses that we started our story with, right? The terrified, afraid, questioning God's calling of him as a matter of fact. Now, let's be clear what Moses is telling these people. This isn't an excuse to do nothing, to be completely passive in this situation. When I was rehabilitating from my injury and from my surgery, uh, there were some specific things I had to do to get well. Certainly, I mentioned the waiting. There was a lot of that. But at some point, I did have to start doing months of physical therapy. I couldn't just sit in my room and hope that my bones would heal and that I would be able to walk miraculously in several months. There was work that I had to do. But there is a difference between healthy activity and destructive efforts to control. There is always an opportunity for us to learn the difference between working hard at a project or a job or a relationship, a marriage. There's a difference between working hard at those things and maybe drifting into efforts of control. Control of the situation or worse yet, control of another person. So how do you tell when that drift has started to happen? Well, for me, it is seeing those signs of anger and resentment, anxiety, and fear. We even see this in the Exodus story that the Israelites, despite all that God had already done on their behalf, after witnessing all the signs of his fighting for them, they still didn't trust. They whined, they complained, and they were angry. They wanted to turn back. They wanted to go back to the bondage simply because it was familiar to them. That felt like control to them. They were on the brink of trading a new freedom that could only come if they trusted God for what seemed like control but was actually bondage, slavery. Look, none of us are God. I am not God. Control of the universe is not up to me, and you can join me in thanking God for that. 
<laughs> because I'm human. I'm limited at best, and I'm incredibly flawed at worst. And I can only control what I can control. And at the end of the day, that is actually very little. The rest of it is up to God. And I'm learning, just like all of you, to trust him. I have a friend who is a leader in this community. Many of you know him. His name is Bill Lang, and he's sitting back there. And I told him ahead of time I was going to say this. But he likes to remind me and others that either God is or God isn't. Which do I believe? Which do I trust? And do my actions reflect the answer to that question? The answer is, my actions do. And so I must make that choice. Do I look at what God does and what he has done in my own life and trust who he is? So how does this apply to us today? Well, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he, along with his closest followers, his disciples, they are facing a Red Sea situation. They are faced with the choice between control and trust. Jesus knows that he's about to be arrested, and he knows that when he's arrested, he's going to be tortured. He's going to be persecuted. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be beaten, and he's eventually going to die. And he knows that his disciples, these, these people that he, have, that he has walked so closely with, that he deeply loves, are going to be completely hammered with fear when they watch him experience all of this. So he gathers them together for a meal and he says to them this, remember me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. After this meal, the gospels tell us that Jesus went out to pray and in that moment of prayer, he asked God to take away the cup of suffering that he knew he was going to experience. And we know that God said no. And in that moment, Jesus himself had a choice to make. He had to choose to trust. Throughout all of his ordeal, his trial, his beatings, even as he was dying on a cross, he somehow chose to trust. This God who says, be still, I will fight for you. Not just that I will in the future, but I am right now fighting for you. So let me ask you some hard questions. What about you? What does control look like in your life? If we know that things like anger and resentment and anxiety are some of the byproducts of control, well, how much anger do you have in your life right now? How much resentment? How much anxiety? Jesus says every time we come to this table, we have an opportunity again and again and again to remember that just like us, Jesus made a choice to trust God in his darkest moments, in the darkest moment in history. It's almost as if he's saying, listen, when, 
Not if, but when you struggle with control, think about me. Trust God. Be still. God will fight for you. So today, this table is a reminder that we have a God who fights for us. Maybe right now, you're at a place in your life where you feel like you are facing the Red Sea and that your back is up against a mountain that is revealing this superpower army who is pursuing you and there is something bearing down on you that is so powerful that you don't know how you will get away from it. You don't know how you will survive it. Maybe right now you're afraid. Maybe you've been working so hard at something for so long, a broken relationship or a, or a job or a dream, and it's just so hard. And if you're honest, maybe you're angry, maybe a little resentful. Maybe you're angry at another person, but maybe if you're really honest, you're angry at God. No matter what it is, today, this table is a place of trust, is a place of surrender, of laying it down and saying, God, I'm tired of playing God, and I'm going to choose as best I can to trust you. Now, the invitation is open to come to this table of trust, and this is not a place where people come who have it all together. Hopefully, no one here has ever given you that impression. This is not a place of people who say that they are self-sufficient. It's a place where people proclaim their deep need for help from a God who helps, from a God who fights for them. If that's you today, then Jesus invites you to this place. We're going to take a couple moments right now, and I want you to think about a couple of questions. We're going to take some space that's necessary before we move into communion. I want you to consider this. Where in your life is God calling you to do, to be active in your own healing? And where in your life is God calling you to be still and trust, to wait and to watch and to know that he is fighting for you? Take just a few moments and think about those questions.
I'd like to invite you to read a prayer with me that is based on Psalm 46, and the words are on the screen. God, you are our refuge and strength. You are our help who is always near in times of great trouble. That's why we don't need to be afraid when our world falls apart, when the mountains crumble into the center of the sea, when the waters around us roar and rage, when the mountains shake and things seem unstable. We know you, the Lord of heavenly forces, are with us, that you are our true place of safety. Help me to know when it's time to be still and to let you be God. Help me to know when it's time to be still and to let go of my troubles. Help me to know when it's time to be still and let you fight for me. Help me to remember that you are with me and you will not leave me stranded. Help me to dwell with you in safety and peace.